As I step away from our uh, series in Acts, as we celebrate the the eight days of Palm Sunday through Resurrection Sunday, in preaching, I'm so often breaking Scripture down to a few verses and and going back and and backing it up with other few verses that I often do not see the flow of history going on in the scriptures. And, and the one thing that also makes that a little bit tough, as I pointed out, is that historians back then grouped things of a kind and not in order. And today, we will see that uh, even the events leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ are not in a chronological order. So what we're doing today is I'm going to be putting scripture not only harmonizing the Gospels, but putting them in the order things happened on the day they happened, leading up to the crucifixion. To preface this look at the events of Passover week, we should remember that Jesus already knew that he was a man marked for death by the Jewish leadership. Six months before the Passover is the Feast of uh, The Feast of Booths, Feast of the Tabernacles, Sukkoth, whatever you want to call it. It's known by three different names. And it's one of the three travel feasts that people, Jews living in Judea, were expected to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. And Jesus' brothers came to him and said, hey, you're going up to... They were sort of still taunting him at this point. And they said, hey, you're going to go up with us all to Jerusalem for um, for the Feast of Booths? And Jesus told them no. He was not going to go with them. And he did go, but he went privately. He went and kept a low profile for the first half of the um, Feast of Booths. He started teaching in the temple on the fourth day of the seven to eight day festival that they were having. So he was staying away from the Jews because he even knew then that they were looking to kill him. An event just after that, and we don't know where this falls in this timeline, but I'm using it to bring it up, is found in John 11:1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now they had to to send word to Jesus. Jesus was beyond the Jordan preaching. He was still keeping a low profile. After he came back from the uh, Feast of Booths in Jerusalem, he got out of town, went across the Jordan. So when Lazarus got sick, Mary and Martha had to send word to him, and it's a two-day walk to where he was. Why Jesus decided to wait two more days? We're not positive. Was he making sure that Lazarus was good and dead so that uh, he may demonstrate another miracle? 
So no one could mistake what happened next. By the time Jesus received the message from Mary and Martha, Lazarus was already dead. Okay, so he waits two days after getting the message. And he heads to Jerusalem. Verse 7 says, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, and I'm reading this so that you understand what was facing Jesus, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you were going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that they meant he was taking a rest. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So we're looking. Jesus knows that the plots against him are serious, and that people are seriously trying to kill him, and his disciples know that. It was not a secret that for Jesus to go back to Jerusalem, and Bethany is on the the slopes of the uh, Mount of Olives, about two miles outside of Jerusalem, Going to Bethany is the same thing as going to Jerusalem, as we will see. And going to Jerusalem was a death sentence. But Jesus went in 34, says to Mary, Lazarus' sister, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. But the resurrection of Lazarus, and I'm looking for places, I've got a lot of papers up here, did not happen in secret. Verses 45 through 53 says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Note, 
Just like in our day, they say, hey, look at what this guy is doing. Isn't this great? No, they say, what are we to do? This man is doing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And look at what they're concerned about here. Take away our place and our nation. Take away what place? Well, they were the leaders of the Jews. They were, they were cooperating with the Romans. They were making money running the temple. They were making money off the occupation. And if everybody believed in Jesus, they're afraid the Romans will come away and take away their place and their nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, and you know, we've always got to have a real bad guy in these things. And one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Now, these accounts of Lazarus do not give a timeline and leave you thinking that all this happens as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem for the Passover. But the Apostle John, the Apostle John, who would know the timeline, adds this in verse 54, and he's the only one who adds this. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now, Ephraim was in the wild hill country. It was outside of Jerusalem, about 17 miles, but in, you know, it's sort of like, when I think of bad times coming, it's sort of like, go to the mountains. Well, that's what Jesus did. He went to the mountains. He went to the whole country where no one was and stayed there. And verse 55 and 57 then concludes, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? that he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. So, not only does Jesus know, but everybody in Jerusalem knows that the Pharisees are looking for Jesus to arrest him and take him in. And there begins the narrative of Jesus' final nine days of his ministry to this world which will end with his death and his resurrection and the atonement for our sins. Day one. We're going to begin it in John 12, 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Lazarus that he had already resurrected from the dead. He's going back and staying in Bethany with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made made from pure nard 
and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, nard was a perfume made from a flowering plant. And when we think these people, you know, don't have much to do with the rest of the world, remember that Israel is a Greek-speaking place for the most part. They have a lot of interaction with people from around the world. Nard came from the Himalayas, uh, from Tibet. Okay, it's a it's a plant similar to honeysuckle. It's in the honeysuckle family. So this pure nard that they're talking about is something that has come from Tibet. The amount that they're speaking here of uh, was a year's worth of wages for the average person in Israel. It was worth a lot of money. It is believed that this jar of nard was. Mary's dowry. It's all she had in the world uh, to offer as a dowry to a husband. And she uses it all on Jesus. She poured out all she had as an extravagant anointing of her Lord. But Judas Iscariot, verse 4, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was his ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an out. Oh, I was going to, I should say that there's this version also. Now, takes place the same time Jesus has come to Bethany. So this is not an alternate version, but a different view of it. Because before, you might think that when Jesus came to Bethany, he, it was at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus this dinner was thrown. But here we get something else. And it says, now when Jesus was at Bethany, and this is Matthew 26, 6 through 13. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, okay, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to him, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have, will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So the meal was a Simon the leper. I'm going to assume Simon the leper was someone that Jesus had healed. Because you wouldn't go into the house of a leper. So it was at the house of Simon the leper that this happened. Mark 14, 3 through 9 gives virtually a word-for-word agreement with this Matthew account. And we won't read it because it's virtually word-for-word. I'm not going to read 
all the parallel accounts. Day three. Jesus, in John 12, it is, uh, speaks of what we now call Palm Sunday. Okay? Palm Sunday, a lot of people think, is actually Palm Monday. And I hate to really you know, ruin that for you. But it, the day of Palm, the day of the entrance into Jerusalem depends on the day that the Passover fell on. You know, I talk to you all the time about what Scripture tells us and what Scripture doesn't tell us. They do not give us the year that this happened. Okay? They, they simply do not say it. Perhaps they expected when they wrote this that everybody in the world knew what date that was. And I'm sure they did when they wrote this. But it does not show up in Scripture. And they do not give the days of the week on what things happened. Uh, if the, and I have read this and I have taught this, that the uh, year that Jesus was crucified, the, that Passover also fell on the Sabbath, the Saturday. If that's the case, Palm Sunday was Palm Monday. Uh, there is still conjecture about all of these things. So, with that in mind, don't throw stones. It, all these things depend on if Jesus was Crucified in AD 30, AD 31, and some people even go to AD 32. And that changes the date of Passover, as we know, on each one of those days. Anyway, John 12, 12 through 19 says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast, okay, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So people who were at that are in the town spreading what Jesus had done. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke agree closely with each other. But a detail that John leaves out, Luke 19, 28 through 40, puts it this way. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany on the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. For on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to him, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. 
And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. One commenter said that the Pharisees demanded of Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. Okay? They were really angry. And Jesus refused. Now, I pointed out last year that the palm branches did not come from Jerusalem. Okay? There were no palm trees in Jerusalem. They had to be brought in from Jericho, 17 miles away. So it is a pre-planned pre-planned demonstration. Palm trees were spread out in the path of conquering kings. This is the symbolism that was present. The welcoming of Jesus was pre-planned by the people. One more note. Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey, you often hear that he did it because he was humble. It showed his humility. Well, conquering kings entered cities on horses. But it is said in the Old Testament that one who enters on a donkey enters in peace. Okay? Jesus was a king, but he was entering Jerusalem in peace. And that's a symbolism, not only just fulfilling prophecy, but a symbolism of who Jesus truly was. Mark 11, 11 notes, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around, I liked this, pay attention. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything... As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus gets to Jerusalem. He's welcomed as a conquering hero, goes into the temple and takes a look around and leaves. Keep that in mind. That's a hint. That's a spoiler alert, I guess. Gosh, I hope he found everything there to his liking when he went and looked around in the temple. And it says, as it was late, he went back to Bethany with his disciples. Day four. Morning dawns and Jesus wakes up hungry. He and his disciples head into Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever extensively traveled in our southern states in the United States. Because things are a little bit different in the United States than the rest of the world. We sometimes find ourselves traveling on a Sunday. Restaurants in the South are often not open on Sundays. It is still a thing in the South, especially in family-run restaurants that they take Sundays off for church and for rest. Even some of the chains do not open on Sundays. There have been Sundays where we got a little hungry because we're traveling and there is no place to eat. 
So Mark 11, 12 uh, through 14 says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Matthew 21, 18 through 19 puts it this way. In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. After seeing a fig by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Continuing on, Luke 19, 41 through 44 says, And when he drew near the city and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. As the Jewish nation has rejected their Messiah, so has God rejected Jerusalem. And Jesus weeps over the fact that Jerusalem will be destroyed. One stone not left upon another. The Jews in the city killed. And the nation utterly leveled. Not 40 years later, the Romans will destroy it, killing all the inhabitants. Continuing on in this day, Mark eleven fifteen through 19 says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who brought in, bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, and he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Luke 19.47 adds adds this detail. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Matthew 21, 14 through 17 continues, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said, they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, you went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. But my favorite version of this 
passage. And that's, I believe I said it was day four, but uh, it's from John 2. And when evening came, they went out of the city. That brings us to the day before the celebration feast of the Passover, known for all time and eternity as the Last Supper. Okay, so this is coming to the day before the Last Supper. We're not going to cover the Last Supper tonight because that's next week if I finish this up. The day would be a flurry of activity as Jesus finished with his earthly teaching and with the, with the morning light, Jesus and the disciples head back into Jerusalem, passing the fig tree that Jesus had cursed the day before. This is from Mark 11, 20 through 26. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Matthew uh, uh, 21, 20 through 22 puts it this way. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. As they entered the city, they head straight to the temple. And when they had entered the temple, the chief priests, and this is from uh, Matthew 21, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the the prostitutes believed him. 
And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. And Jesus keeps teaching in the temple. Now, he has cleaned out the temple. He has the, he has the uh, Pharisees coming and arguing with him. And he continues teaching. Luke has yet more teaching in the temple in Luke 20. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man has planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, When then is, is this that is written, the stone builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone? When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders and the people of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name is Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. From that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. And Luke 22, 3 through 6 brings full light onto the demonic origins of the plot against Jesus. It says, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve, He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. And so ends Jesus' last day of his earthly ministry. The lesson we should all take away from that day is this. Jesus knew his time left was measured in mere hours. And yet he continued on with God's work. You know, some people say, what what would you do if you knew you were going to die next week? You know, that's the whole concept behind the bucket list. Go out and accomplish all these things that you wish you had done in your lifetime because you're going to die. And Jesus sets the example of teaching in the temple amongst his enemies 
right up until his death. A number of us in this building are getting older. Okay? Our hair is graying. Our strength is waning. Our eyesight is failing. I don't mind the gray so much as I... I you know, that eyesight thing is, is really bothering me. And yet, by the Lord's example... Our work is not yet done here on earth. Until our last breath, the Lord is able to use us to present his word to reach the lost wherever we encounter them at. It doesn't mean just standing up here. Steve has numerous Bible studies going on. We all minister to those around us. Our work goes on until our last breath The Lord is able to use us to present his word to reach the lost. Our platform may not be large. Even up here, our platform is not large. But even if one soul, even if one soul, Christ uses us to win to him, it is an infinite victory. An infinite victory. An eternal victory over the forces of darkness. It's one more soul kept for eternity from the dominion of the father of lies. I once heard Jesus' death on the cross. How can it suffice for all that he was going to save? It was just three days in the grave. Well, he's infinite. It was an infinite amount of time. Just one person reached by us means an eternity of salvation for someone. If in our life, our goal is to emulate Jesus, to be more Christ-like, then our work carries on to the very end. One more teaching, one more scripture shared, one more person to reach, one more Bible study for the consequences of this time even as we are old, are truly eternal. Let's pray.